we continue in John chapter 19, the end of verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was also written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but write, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garment and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Tonight, we start with four points out of the scripture. The first is that a king is identified as Samantha read earlier in verses 1 through 7. We see in verse 2 that our king has traded his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns and in doing so taken upon himself the curse that was put upon the land all the way back in Genesis. Then we see our king is clothed and robed in purple representing not just the crown of thorns that he was royalty, but the purple majestic color that they wrapped his body, his bleeding body with. And then we see our king identified when the crowd says, Hail, King of the Jews. When Pilate says, Hail, King of the Jews. When he was mocked. When instead, he should have been worshipped. Verses 1 and 3, we see our king has been beaten to an unrecognizable state. His majesty and his humility take form in the form of the suffering servant. And in verses 4 through 6, our king is innocent. But while being innocent, he is wanted dead. Where Pilate finds no guilt, the Pharisees demand death. And they incite a riot within the crowd to shout, crucify, Crucify, crucify. Not only is our king identified, we see that our king is denied. Verses 8 through 16. 
We see that Pilate pleads with Jesus, and Jesus refocuses Pilate. Pilate, where are you from? Jesus, no response. We know that our king, King Jesus, is not of this world. He is a spiritual king of a spiritual kingdom. He does not need to answer to a mere man. Pilate says, why don't you answer me? I could release you. Jesus reminds him, Pilate, you have no authority over me outside of the authority in which God has given you. I think in this moment, Pilate starts to see Jesus as he really is, for who he really is. And then verses 12 through 16, we see that Pilate fights for the release of Jesus, king of the Jews. And the Jews deny their one true king and very ironically cling to a king that isn't actually theirs. Cling to a king that would very soon put many of them to death. Instead of saying, yes, Jesus the Messiah is our king, instead they say, no, we follow Caesar. The Jews deny their one true king. They pick up Caesar. They plot to kill Jesus even still. Their true king is denied. And their true king is sentenced to die. But not before the king is identified, the king is denied, and then the king is prophesied. We see this. Verses 24, verses 30. Verses 17 and 18, we see that our king carries his cross to the place of the skull, the side of a hill that identically looks like a skull, this place called Golgotha. We see that he is hung upon that cross like a criminal, in between criminals. And we see that a sign is placed above his head. And what does that sign read? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews written in all three major languages of the day, written in Aramaic, written in Latin, written in Greek, for all to see. This is a high traffic area. Whether Pilate was professing Jesus or whether Pilate was mocking Jesus, one thing remains true, and that's that Jesus' death would impact the nations. That's that Jesus' death does impact the nations today. And in that moment, before he gives up his final breath, we see two out of four prophecies take place. I'll cover the first two tonight. Chris will cover the second two. And throughout God's Word, throughout the Bible, we see that there are over, right around 2,500 prophecies made about Jesus. Within his life, we see him fulfill around 2,000 prophecies, 500 of those which pertain to the future, which we have yet to see be fulfilled. But on the cross, we see four prophecies fulfilled before Jesus gives up his last breath and just as he gives up his last breath. And this is a big deal. This is so much bigger than the chances of winning a lottery. This is a rare thing for one prophecy to be fulfilled, let alone four back to back to back. You see, the chance of these four prophecies being fulfilled on the cross all together are one times ten to the ninth power. And I've proved myself very unworthy to give out numbers and mathematical equations over and over in our services. But think of the probability being like this. I take Jacob. I blindfold him. I put him at the front of our church. 
And then all of you lovely people, you help me scatter silver dollars throughout the entire state of Arizona. Two feet, three inches deep. And somewhere from Yuma to, to, to Tucson to Phoenix, all the way up to Prescott and Flagstaff, with two feet and three inches of silver dollars, Jacob, being blindfolded still, has to find that one silver dollar that I have set aside, that I have marked specially for him to find. That is the chance, the same chance, of these four prophecies being fulfilled. First prophecy we see in 23 and 24, the prophecy of the garment as prophesied by the psalmist in Psalm 22, verse 18. says, they divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. And then the second prophecy, the prophecy of the drink, we see in verses 25 and 27, we see prophesied in Psalm 69, 19 through 21, fulfilled. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for my comforters, I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Many of these prophecies prophesied nearly a thousand years before they would ever be fulfilled. But all four of these prophecies fulfilled in our King and in our Jesus. Lastly, we see that our King, the King, is crucified. Verses 17 through 30. His enemies, they unknowingly participate in God's plan for redemption for the world. And not just for the world, but for their sin as well. And there we see it in verse 30. Jesus' last words. It is finished. And then he breathes his last. He gives up his spirit. What does it mean? that it is finished. This means that Jesus' work is complete. This means that he bore the penalty for our sins. This means that salvation accomplished. The perfect Passover lamb sacrificed. The price of redemption paid. Justice of God satisfied. Church, as Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, it is finished. 